This American carnage. He is accusing former President Barack Obama of wiretapping his phones. Russia is fake news. Don Jr. was collusion curious. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. Trump has irked some European allies by withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Freak Out and Carry On. I'm Ron Suskind. And I'm Heather Cox Richardson. Heather, this is our last episode of 2017. And oh, God, what a difference a year makes. What a year. I mean, I feel like I'm still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, one thing after another, when you run through this year, where we were and step by step where we've ended up. I mean, right from the start, from him standing there and saying American carnage in inauguration, right to Jim Comey being fired. Uh, what I did is I was going to fire Comey. My decision, it was not... You had made the decision before they came uh, in the I, I was going to fire Comey. Right to madness in the White House. Right to Charlottesville. So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? All the way through to now Alabama as a finish. Get out and vote for Roy Moore. And all the events in between. I mean, you know, part of what is so stunning is that when you do lay it down and say, go by months, month by month, you actually can kind of recast and get a sense of distance traveled, which... I think is helpful, terrifying, but at least you know where we were and where we are, and it calls the question of what do we do now? We are sliding into uncharted terrain for this nation when it comes to the idea of what a democracy represents. You know, I sit there and I say, having covered dictators around the world, my God, Every day I'm watching one on Fox News and CNN and NBC and ABC, and he's leering at me going, I dare you. You bet. You know just what I am. Look at this face. If you dare, can you look any longer? And frankly, I cannot turn away. I feel it's my obligation, and I know you do too, and I think much of America feels it as well, to say I am now being called to stand for the principles that I learned in eighth grade civics for what this democracy represents. That is the year we are now finishing. Heather? I am both freaking out and carrying on, and here's why. There is no doubt at all in my mind that America is in a moment of profound crisis. We are at a moment when our institutions of democracy are coming up against the pressures of an oligarchy, and it's doing so in a really stark way. And on the one hand, I look at what I can't even call creeping authoritarianism any longer because to me it really looks like authoritarianism, and I'm terrified. But at the same time, as I'm watching what seems to me the movement of our government of the people, by the people, and for the people into a government of Wall Street, by Wall Street, and for Wall Street, 
I I worry about that, but at the same time, I, I look around us and I see signs of hope. And and again, as a historian, I tend to look at the broad picture. And and a couple of the things when I look back at the 2017, what I think of are the the Confederate statues coming down, because. To my mind, as a historian, when statues come down, regimes change. And the current Republican Party very carefully tied itself to the concepts of the Confederacy and to those Confederate statues. So that symbolism and the movement that took those statues down seems to me extraordinarily important. And so does what I will call the Me Too movement. which I think is a a word, a symbol for a much larger moment of women taking back the country and saying we are not going to be under the hand of this macho individualism any longer that's run the country since 1980. We will take it back. So I look at that and I'm very hopeful. I will say that it seems to me we're at this moment of crisis and I'm incredibly heartbroken that we're here. But if we have to be here, I feel honored to have a part in it. Well, let's go right now to our guest. Perfect setup, Heather. Thank you. Our guest this week is the doyen of distance travel. This amazing character in the American landscape has risen up in the age of Trump. Her name is Amy Siskin. She's president of the New Agenda, an advocacy group for women. But she is widely and well-known, embraced and celebrated for something she does every Sunday. She writes a must-read, The Weekly List. It's deceptively simple, what she's doing here, but brilliant and clear-eyed. It's a list of the norms that President Trump broke over the preceding seven days. Taken together, week after week, we see our democracy eroding away. It's a service to everyone who feels the chaos of this moment, but doesn't know how to process it, get their arms around it, mark passage of time and event so that we know where we are going. Bloomsbury Publishing just announced they will compile the list into a book out this spring by Amy Siskin. So you can read it week to week. And it's, of course, just inhabiting the blog sphere, but you also can hold it in your hands between hardcovers. That book will be out soon. Amy Siskind, welcome. Thank you for having me. Give me your definition as the norm queen. (laughs) Give me a definition of norm that's a nice pocket-sized definition for folks to walk away with. So I don't look at Trump as a a traditional construct of Democrat versus Republican. For example, in, in the tax bill that was passed, that you could argue is a normal Republican Democrat kind of argument to have. But what's not normal is the fact that they didn't have a debate, that it wasn't any bipartisan movement in it. So that would be the kind of thing the list would look at. So these norms are tucked in all sorts of places. That's what's so fascinating about it. You can look at an event and say, well, that seemed to be, you know, traditional, but but there's a, a norm shattered here and there, and that's certainly not normal. Well, it also reflects the fact that so much of our democracy depends not on what's written down in the Constitution or in our laws, but rather in what has simply been normal practice. Well, let's do a little bit of a survey of distance traveled here. Amy, looking back on 2017, this first year of the Trump presidency, what would you say are the three biggest norms that Trump has broken? The ones that go right to the fabric, the anchor tenants, so to speak, of of our democracy. What would you say? The three biggest changes, first, the way that 
We have a leader who attacks not only the media, I would say it's even broader than that, any voices of dissent. In one of the early weeks, he had attacked a union leader at at Carrier Corp because he dared to speak out against him and the guy was getting death threats. In the same week, he was attacking the media and in the same week, he was attacking SNL. So broad-based attacks on anything to do with dissent. The second would be he's installed regime members to run federal agencies like the State Department, like the Department of Education, and essentially they're unstaffing their agencies and deconstructing them. I'm a business person. I tell my people, well, you don't need to fill slots. Don't fill them. But we have some people that I'm not happy with their But Assistant Secretary of State, you're not getting rid of that position. But let me tell you, the one that matters is me. I'm the only one that matters because when it comes to it, that's what the policy is going to be. You've seen that. You've seen it strongly. And rolling back protections and rights for Americans, as well as undoing regulations. And also the fact that I've cut regulations to the extent that I've cut them. And the third would be that he has, over time, been increasingly uncomfortable and moved us away from our traditional allies, starting with Mexico and Canada, then Germany, then France. And he feels much more at home and seems to cozy up with authoritarian leaders. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why you think our country's so innocent? So, Amy, can you speak to the fact that this administration seems to revel in lying or in um, misstatements of fact, if you will? You know, people will say all politicians lie, but aren't we at a new norm for, or not a norm? Aren't we at a new place for that? Yeah, I think the number of misstatements he's made is approaching 2,000. And the tone comes from the top. So the fact that he so freely on a given day will lie five to ten times, it then you know, trickles down to everybody in his regime feeling free to do the same. They sort of feel as if they have cover to misstate things, to lie constantly. And so I think we've just been bathed in it. And I think one thing you mentioned in the intro that is a good result of it. I think Americans have been awakened and said, no, 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 that's not okay. You're gaslighting us. You're lying to us, but it's pervasive. And that's something authoritarians do, right, is to switch from fact-based policies to cult-like qualities. Right. One of the things I see, Amy, when I look at the list is I see things where the seeds were planted maybe some years ago, and they've grown now, though, into a shift in behavior, a fundamental shift, um, a a shattering of a norm. For instance, during the George W. Bush administration, something I found as a reporter in Washington and discussed with other reporters, was uh, folks in that administration would lie right to your face. Now, it would usually be an area of policy, maybe something complicated. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a cream pie in your face as right. to what you do. But, you know, they would just tell you something not true. Uh, you might find out a few months later, generally, and reporters at the Wall Street Journal, a friend of mine, David Wessel, economics reporter, said, yeah, you're right, Ron. Months passed, and the aide who told me this thing, I put in the Wall Street Journal, said, no, the, we lied to you. Because what they found, interestingly, and they were kind of testing the crossbeams here, they said, we're not really suffering a penalty when we lie to you. 
So we're just going to do that. And as well, again, these are seeds being planted that, of course, now grown into a vine that's choking the democracy. But, but another thing they said back then is that we don't view the mainstream media, certainly, as anything that is part of the structural supports or obligations of a democracy. We, we don't see a need to engage with you. We view you just as like another interest group in Washington, like the healthcare lobby, right. so that we can, uh, we can now move to our supportive and friendly media, which is not really media as it has been defined, and we can just lie to you or ignore you in terms of access. Again, these are some of the foundations that now have been weaponized and grown into fullness by this administration. You know, people ask all the time, and I I don't know that there's a conclusive answer whether Trump has some grand vision in mind or whether he just wakes up each morning with a storm brewing inside his head and reacts. My leaning of watching this guy, unfortunately, without a day off since November 2016, is he wasn't necessarily picking up on seeds that were there. I think he is just a person who, like you said in the New York Times article last Saturday, he didn't understand this whole checks and balance things. He kind of just thought he was going to come in and run things. So speaking of history, Amy, I would love to hear what you have to say about Charlottesville. You know, Charlottesville seemed to me to be the moment when it was almost the perfect storm of norm-breaking and history and the present and the Republican Party and people of color and women all sort of coming together for that incredible crisis there then. What did that look like to you? You know, there's been a, a few weeks where I I have sat at my computer screen with like literally tears coming down my eyes writing the list and that that was such a heartbreaking week. Not only that it happened, I remember Friday night I was working on the the list for that week and it was there, there were at that point people marching at UVA and that but then what happened afterwards and how Trump addressed it was was heartbreaking. And I agree with you, a turning point. I I think if we look at the trajectory, one of the things you two mentioned in the lead-in is as bad as things have become under him, there's been an awakening of the American people. And that was definitely an inflection point. So, you know, it was, I think, a time when it was two things were very clear, that he was going to do whatever he needed to do to keep together his base. And there was also, I think, a, a moment of self-reflection for our country that where, what are we becoming? Where, you know, this is just so not okay. I, I think it was one of those moments, although there's been many, but that was certainly one. You know, one of the things I saw at that moment was in terms of norms is what we all expected and what pretty much every president certainly during my lifetime and I think in in recent memory would do, which is seize an opportunity. Moments like that are an opportunity for any sitting president to say, I can now stand and establish American principles. That's what I do at a moment like this, at a moment of horror, hatred. Certainly nothing as huge and metastasized as Charlottesville, but there have been moments when the darkness in the American character is shown. And presidents often say, this is my opportunity as the leader of this country to establish the principles upon which the equal rights of individuals, of citizens... be the president of all people, that's, which it's, was the same argument we were having in week one of the list. They were saying, this is your chance to be the... Pre-. And his way of being president to all people was asking us to understand white supremacists. Let's move to something else. James Comey, rule of law, 
that Comey moment, the firing, the hearing that followed, that seemed to be a test case. I don't think it's for me to say whether the conversation I had with the president was an effort to obstruct. I took it as a very disturbing thing, very concerning. A moment in which the issue of rule of law was placed on the table for the American public to see. Let's talk about that as a key moment of this year in terms of the shattering of norms. What do you see as to the consequences of that moment in terms, again, of norms? Well, I think what you see with Trump is he every week is testing new boundaries of what he can get away with. And I remember the night he fired Comey and Jeff Tubin, you know, losing it on CNN and everybody who was a lawyer or had some constitutional sense or sense of history talking what a big moment it was. And it did lead us now to the special investigator. So it didn't have you know, no consequence. But in Trump's mind, the next few days was telling Kislyak and Lavrov in the Oval Office that that Comey guy, well, I got rid of him because he was bugging me on Russia, uh, which scares me for what's happening now with Mueller and where he will test that boundary. And it, it does increasingly seem like he is setting stones in place for either firing him or firing people in the Department of Justice to, in effect, fire him. But, uh, Amy, this is one of the key areas that we talk about in terms of the rise of the authoritarian. They tend to go right at the two agencies of society that can challenge them. One is the courts and the other is the press. But these two agencies, realms of self-governance, the courts and the press, to keep everyone honest, they're number one and number two on the attack list. Right. You know, but it's interesting because as well, we are finding a renewed appreciation of precisely why the press is the only uh, profession, one might say, listed in the Bill of Rights. The New York Times, certainly the Washington Post, subscriptions are up. People are reading them quite ardently day to day, religiously. People are recognizing why these institutions were constructed by the founding fathers for a reason, and those reasons that raison d'etre is being shown day to day in reaction. Well, well, I'll also point out here, though, that, well, Ron, while you're talking about all the major papers that we've all heard of, one of the things that has astonished me in 2017 is the number of new voices that have found their own way through Twitter, for example, like you, Amy. And what's fascinated me is how many people are building communities outside of the traditional press. Now, what that's going to do with the end of net neutrality is not clear to me, but I think it's interesting that we've got a new alternative, in a sense, media a resistance media. And that actually we have done before in American history in the 1890s when the populists had an entire series of newspapers and media that that the establishment never knew existed. So they were shocked to hear just how unpopular they were when they were voted out of office in the midterms of, of 1890. Heather, Amy, stand by. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Amy's talked a lot about the negatives of broken norms, but it seems worth pointing out that when you start to break norms, what you do is you create a sort of chaos that can be incredibly destructive, of course, but it can also be very, very positive. It's these moments when you get a lot of broken norms, a shattered, a chaotic society that have, in fact, given rise to enormous progress in American history at various times. And this is an interesting moment because we have had some really dramatic good norm shattering going on in 
2017. We have, for example, the Me Too movement and the rise of women getting involved in politics in a way that they really have not been before in American history ever. So as we're throwing all those cards up in the air, the way Ron talks about, how they land on the table and how we then collect them again might look very different in positive ways as well as in negative ways. Chaos can be really disorienting and and God knows it's scary to wake up every morning and not know what's going to come across your Twitter feed. But it can also be very positive. You know, I did another radio show yesterday, and they said to me, in Europe, tell me one good thing that Trump has done for our country. And I said, he's reawakened feminism in the way I've never seen in my lifetime, and probably the most since the suffragettes. So in answer to your question, yes. I mean, and sometimes progress comes as a reaction to darkness, and that's what's happening now. I think the fact of how Trump got elected and what he's done in terms of staffing our judicial branch and his own administration with less women and less people of color than we've seen in decades, paying them less. You know, the story goes on and on and on. Early on, women were offended by his actions. And I think if you look at the gender gap now and of approval, it's it's amazing. His approval rating with women is, is 24%. With men, it's about 20 points higher. He's about split with, with white men equally. So I think it's a different experience right now for women than men in this country because more of our rights have been taken away. And I do believe that the majority of the resistance right now in terms of the action, as you mentioned, and, and a lot of the leadership is, is women leaders. And I think that led to what is, it feels almost like a brush fire, the Me Too movement. It just is so dramatic. And so like, wow, those of us have been working on this issue, like, how did that come so quickly? And and how can it be so powerful that finally women are standing up? Let's look to 2018, all three of us to think about um, what's ahead. So Amy, let me ask you for your predictions for 2018. You've marked so brilliantly the decline from the beginning to the end of 2017. What do you see up ahead? Well, I, I don't believe he's going to make it out of 2018, and maybe that's just my wishful thinking, but I think there are a couple of different things that are going to be very powerful continuing into the new year. One is the Mueller probe as people cooperate and as they gather more information, and the two things to watch there from based on my watching of the list are Deutsche Bank and Cambridge Analytica. So keep an eye on those two things. Uh, do, uh, contextualize that, Deutsche Bank and Cambridge Analytica, how so? Deutsche Bank, the nature of the, the money that they lent to Trump and to Kushner, the right. times they lent them and, and the parts of the banks that lent them were really suspect. And Deutsche Bank is also known as a laundromat for Russian money. So right. keep an eye on that. And then Cambridge Analytica is owned by the Mercers. Bannon also had a stake. Right. Uh, they're a data management company. They had great involvement with our election. The, Mer- the Mercers are a ferociously far right and activist and wealthy pair. I, those are the things I would watch with the Mueller investigation. And then the other thing I would watch is the Me Too movement. I do think it's more like an inferno brush fire kind of thing. You don't know how it's going to move. It's like something we've not seen before in activism. And we saw very quickly 100 members of the House 
say they wanted an investigation. If you see the Democrats take over the House next year, or even before that happens, if you see more movement, you might see investigations into Trump's sexual misconduct. And that could also be very powerful. There might be more women to come out that might cause our country to demand impeachment. So those are the two things I would look for for him. All right. Here's my prediction. I think uh, Donald Trump will be prosecuted. I think that rubber will hit road here. I think there's going to be a constitutional crisis probably not too long from now when what Bob Mueller has found is presented either by Mueller or someone who follows him. And it will be a moment, a moment in which the basic constitutional fabric of the country is tested. And at that moment, my guess is that now that the Republican majority has gotten its tax cuts, they will probably turn on this guy in a way that will mean Donald Trump will probably not make it through the year. This is what I say, not in a kind of blind hope. I say this because I I think that we are at a moment in which the system will operate on this fundamental bedrock rule of law in the way it is built to operate. Heather? So I would echo, Amy, that Russia and the Me Too movement are the things to look for with this administration. But looking at this in the long term, I've given a lot of thought to this lately. And one of the things that really jumps out at me is that we have been here before. The moment that we're in now looks very much like the 1850s, when a small group of wealthy white American men took over the American government and tried to run it for their own benefit and their own benefit alone. And when that happened, they were a group of Democratic slaveholders. And when that happened, the Republican Party formed and Americans joined the Republican Party to say, no, that's not what America stands for. America stands for equality of opportunity and equality before the law. And Abraham Lincoln, who had had very little political experience before he became president in 1861, of course, rededicated the nation to the Declaration of Independence rather than to the Constitution in his Gettysburg Address of 1863, when he said, with the the address that every historian knows, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now, and he's talking about in 1863, we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. And then he went on to talk about the people in our past who had given their lives for equality and the rule of law and our founding principles. And then he concluded by saying, you know, we who are alive today can't ever equal what they have done. We can never honor them fully enough, but we must dedicate ourselves to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that those dead shall not have died in vain, and that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people by the people, and for the people, shall not perish from this earth. And I think a lot now about the man we call Father Abraham and hoping we carry his legacy forward. Wow. Well, uh, wow. <laughs> Thank you, Heather, for reading that. Look, look, I'll, just, I'll just finish this rondelet by saying, as I hear Heather read that, and I hear you speak, uh, Amy, I 
hear a phrase in in my head, for granted. I think in this land of great prosperity, during these times when we've not had a searing war like World War One or World War Two, Civil War, we have taken a great deal for granted. And that phrase, those words, tied together, for granted, that these principles Lincoln discusses are not granted. They are earned, earned maybe by, well, every generation. Mm. And I think that is the moment that we find ourselves in, which is why it is a joy to talk to both of you at this very moment and to wish you a wonderful, prosperous, and purposeful 2018. The wonderful Amy Siskin writes the must-read of the weekly list where she catalogs daily attacks on our democracy by the Trump administration. Truly, Amy, thank you for joining us. We'll talk hopefully in the new year. Thank you. It was such an interesting discussion. Thank you for having me. Heather, always wonderful to chat with you. It's always a pleasure, Ron. Happy New Year. And to you. I want to remind listeners we will be off next week for the Christmas holiday. So we will see you next year. I'm Ron Susskind, and this is Freak Out and Carry On. Happy Holidays. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It helps others find the show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Freakout Carry On. Visit our website at wbur.org slash freakout. Our email address is freakoutandcarryon at wbur.org. Our show is produced by WBUR in Boston. We're produced and edited by Catherine Brewer. Our technical director is Matt Reed. Our executive producer is Iris Adler. Music for the podcast, courtesy of APM. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not in any way reflect the views of WBUR management or its employees.